offering them Bekarov uh, in good health, and uh, we should have Shalom, and Hashem should watch over our, our soldiers and our brothers and sisters in Israel. Um, also, my uh, grandmother was Nifteris over, uh, over uh, Sukkot, so we had Leviah last uh, Thursday. So it was a very, very emotional yontif overall, to say the least. So the shir should be also for Ilya Neshama, for Tila, Chaya, Bas, Moshe, Yosef. Should be Melitz Yosef for all of us. Okay, so we're going to do a lot of Agadata in the next uh, day or two, because before we get to the next chunky, meaty sugya, there's a lot of, a lot of Agadata. So if you remember, we left off discussing about uh, Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Yonasan were in the cemetery, and the Rabbi Chia said to Rabbi Yonasan, you shouldn't let your stitches drag uh, while you're walking over the Kavaros, you shouldn't let your stitches drag, because uh, it's lower the rush, you're mocking those who cannot go ahead and perform the mitzvah. So a couple questions that we did not discuss, and one is, if Rav Yonasan himself is a Kohen, how is he allowed to enter the Kavar, base Kavaros in the first place? Kohanim are not allowed to enter. So one answer that's, that's uh, fairly typical in these scenarios is that there are three different Rav Yonasans in the, uh, in, the, in the Gemara. This is obviously a different Rav Yonasan. It's not referring to the Kohen. One suggestion is that he was not within Dalit Amos of the, uh, of the actual uh, Mesim, so he was allowed to go ahead uh, and walk there. Uh, but we discussed about whether one is supposed to go ahead and or allowed to wear tzitzis. We decided, based on uh, halacha, that uh, psak is really one can wear tzitzis, but should hide it, meaning it should not be out of his pockets or shouldn't be visible. He should tuck them in. But one interesting question, which we did not discuss, and that is, why is it, do we, when we go ahead and we bury someone, it's just a very, very quick uh, tangent before we start the Gadot, why is it, and we don't have our local Chavar uh, Kadisha here, Steve, um, when I used to do Chavar Kadisha, when I first moved there, you, you'll know that we put, we cut off, we put a talus in, but we cut off the tzitzis, meaning we make it, we parcel the talus, and the question is why? Why do we parcel the talus? Why can't we bury them with, with the regular, uh, regular tzitzis? Um, and there are a couple answers. Um, one of them is that it's interesting that it's brought down that those, um, this is actually brought down the name of Rabbeinu Tam, that it was those people in the older times, we know that in the Skatnu Adoros, as we descend and move further and further away from Harsinai, there's what we call Yeridas Adoros. We're not necessarily in the same level spiritually as they were many, many, many moons ago. And so then it was a testament to the fact that they were much more observant of the Torah, Shabbos, and Mitzvot than we were. So the fact that they went ahead and they, they cut them, they, they wore them then, that was more of a sign that they went ahead and they observed the Torah to a much higher degree today. But since today we're not as uh, nizza, we're not as scrupulous and meticulous as they are, uh, we should not give the impression that we were complete tzaddikim, says Rabbein Tam, and therefore we go ahead uh, and we cut it. What's the interesting question is, if that's the case, then why are we wearing even wearing tzitzis while we're alive? In other words, if, if, if we're giving false edus by, by burying someone with tzitzis today while they're still intact in Sakosha Talis, why, because it's giving false edus as if we're saying we're tzaddikim, then why even wear it while we're alive? And the obvious answer is because we're commanded to wear it while alive and you're fulfilling a mitzvah. You're not commanded necessarily to wear it while we are no longer, while no longer alive. Um, there are some opinions, though, the Machzavitri, one of them was a well-known Shita uh, 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 that says that uh, even today that, uh, that Mesim are chayv and tzitzis, and we really should not go ahead, uh, we should not go ahead and, uh, and cut them. Okay, let's, uh, let's start from, uh, cut them off the tachrichen, I should say, cut them off on the, uh, on the mace, we should keep the talus intact. Okay, so let's go to the first wide line on Yud Chesam Beis, middle of the first, middle wide line, I should say, in the middle column. So we are um, discussing there, let me just get to the right, enough. 
Okay, so we're up to B'nei um, So again, we're still, middle still on this conversation, whether people who are no longer here or up in Shemaim, do they know what's going on in this world? Do they still, are they still cognizant of what's going on? So the Gemara says, B'nei Rebichia nofikl kriyasa. So Rebichia, again, we were talking about Rebichia and Rebbe Yonasan. They were the ones having the machlokas. Rebichia said to Rebbe Yonasan, don't walk around with the tzitzis hanging out, dragging over the, uh, over the cemeteries, over the uh, matzevos when you're walking. And Rebbe Yonasan said to him, do you think they really know what's going on? So this is a continuation of that machlokas. So the, the story is told as follows. Rebichia nofikl kriyasa. They went out to the farm. They went out to the villages where they had a, some a family estate. Uh, they wound up staying there so long that they start to forget their lima, they start to forget their, 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 uh, their learning. So they really troubled themselves and they really went through a, 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 a difficult process to try to re- regain their memory, to regain their learning. So once uh, one of the children of Chia said to his brother, Do you think our father, Chia, who's up in Shemaim, do you think he's aware of the difficulty, the pain that we are having as we try to re- reacquire the Torah that we once had? So his brother responded to him, How would our Tati, how would Chia know how we are feeling? He's in Shemaim and we're in Olam Azeh. They probably spent too much time vacationing, but the Torah is saying it in a nice way. They spend too much time at their family out, state. Out the you, farm, huh? Yeah, you take it for what it's worth. But uh, Lushen like, you know, we always give a positive spin. They were too involved in the real estate, let's say. Okay. Vaksiv, he says, the brother says, of course he doesn't know. How could he possibly know what's going on? Vaksiv, after all, it is said in the Pasuk, in Eov, Yichbedu of Loyeda. Even if someone's children are honored, after the parent passes, he will not be aware of it. So clearly we see that if a parent doesn't know that his children are being honored after he passes away, they certainly won't know um, that they are going through any, uh, any pain. Amr le'idach, so the brother responded to him, lo yoda, do you really think that he does not know? I'll give you a proof to suggest that he is aware of what's going on, that our father Abhiya is aware of the pain that we are experiencing about the Torah that we lost and trying to reacquire. But Ksiv, as after all the Pasuk says, his flesh will pain him and his spirit will mourn for him. What does it mean that if you're mourning, you're not alive? What does it mean you'll, you're, uh, the flesh will pain for him? He says, based A corpse feels the pain from a worm just like a live person feels when he is pricked by a needle. Meaning, we do feel some pain even afterwards, which means that they're aware of what's going on in this world. If they feel the pain, they're aware of what's going on. So Amri, so the, the brother answered him, that's not necessarily a proof that, uh, that our father knows what we're going. But Sarah did who, Yadi? They just mean they may know some personal pain, meaning when the body of that person himself is going through, that neshama can feel it. But if someone else, Rabbi Chia, is our father, he's not going to feel our pain. It's only personal pain that may be felt. But Sarah when it comes to someone else's pain, albeit a child, lo yadi, he may not be aware, and therefore there's no proof. So the Gemara tried to prove that even after someone is in Olam Ames, they may still, may still be aware and cognizant of what's going on in Olam Hazeh. But it refutes it. Let's say another example. Velo. Are you going to tell me the Gemara continues that in fact, Mason, once they reach Shemayim, they are not aware of what's going on amongst the living? Vatanya, we have the following story. Maisa bechasid echad. There was a, a chasid. It's interesting, by the way. The Marashah says whenever it says chasid, it's either referring to Rabbi Huda bar Law or Rabbi Huda ben Bava. So, not a stam, uh, stam joke, but uh, obviously a tremendous anamora, uh, tamachacham. So, Maisa bechasid echad. One of the Rabbi Hudas. Shinosan dinar la'ani. 
It was a year of famine. Uh, it was obviously um, uh, tough economic times. And he himself was not very wealthy. And he gave a dinar, which was a significant amount of money, to an ani, to a poor person, so he would be able to buy tzarachi yantov. So he could put some chicken and challah on the table. And his wife got wind of this and was not pleased to say the least. After all, they were barely making ends meet. It was a year of famine. It was a tough year economically. Why is he giving his money away to an ani when he himself is an ani? So therefore, because they had a quarrel, he left, and rather than going to the quote-unquote proverbial doghouse, he went to the base kvaros. He went to the cemetery. It's interesting they point out there's a base Yosef who's not a big... Uh, base Yosef is not flowery. Base Yosef gives halacha. But the base Yosef, who we also know as Yosef Kara, wrote the Shulchan Aruch, the Mechaber, base Yosef comments the reason he did not go to a friend's house is because he did not want to publicize he had, had a fight with his wife. So by going to a friend and saying, I need to stay here, my wife's not talking to me, he would have been publicizing he had a fight. So therefore, he went to the basic virus, he found a, uh, under a tree, and he sat there in the cemetery. Okay, and he slept there for the night. Shamash de Ruchos, he heard these two neshamas from two young dead girls. Shemesapros Zulazu, Nabach, two young girls died, and they were, the Ruchos were speaking, they were in there by, over their own cemeteries, and they were speaking one to another. And he overheard them, and what were they saying? Amrachad al Chaverta, so one young girl said to the other one, Chaverti, my friend. Let us go roam around the world. This was Rosh Hashanah, by the way. right? This was, as the Gemara says, that he went, he gave an Ani in Erev Rosh Hashanah. So this is either the first night, and most people say it was the second night of Rosh Hashanah. I'll tell you why in a minute. And the, he's, one uh, Neshama said to the other girls, Neshama, let's go roam the world and see what Hashem has in store for the year ahead. Let's see if we could hear, Mechore Pargod is a colloquial term, basically, from, you know, behind the curtain. Let's go see, you know, Wizard of Oz, you pull back the curtain, it's just a megaphone. Scoop. Right? The inside scoop, exactly. Let's go see if we can, uh, for privy. So, Ma Paranos Balolam, what exactly, Paranos, what punishments are going to befall the world mm-hmm. this year? So girl number two, the neshama of girl number two said, I'm not able to go with you. I am buried in a, in a bundle of, uh, of reeds. Um, and therefore, what, what's the significance of that? So that Slach says two possibilities. One is that as lo- the machatzel shalkanim, when we normally bury someone, we do a tachrichin, which is basically um, made of linen. And that decays very, very fast. Because we believe, says it's Slach, who's a Nod Behuda, says, he wrote a commentary in Chumash in memory of his mother. He says that um, our Neshama can only separate from our Guf when our Guf is, guf is completely eroded um, and when it disappears. And so, as Machatzel Shalkanim takes much, much longer for the elements of the earth to go ahead and reach the body because it's much more protective than a little bit of Tachrich and a little bit of, uh, of linen. And therefore, her neshama was not able to depart from the, uh, from, the, uh, from the guf. And therefore, she wasn't able to go ahead and roam the world, so to speak. It's a sign of anios, by the way, of, of poverty, when you're not able to... Much more expensive. Linen was more expensive than just finding some twigs and reeds to bury her in. So she wasn't able to go. You go yourself. And whatever you hear from the inside scoop, you go ahead and you will relay back to me. So in fact, the first neshama of the young girl who was Nefteris went and she roamed the world and she came back with the following. So tell me, what did you find out? I heard that anyone who plants during the first rain 
Borad Malkel. So after the first rain, Borad hail is going to come and is going to wipe it out. Malkel, so it's going to completely wipe it out. Why? Because anything that was planted during the first rain, by the time the, the Borad would come, would be very, very hard. And Borad, as you know, is, is, is hail and it's going to break it. It's not going to be malleable. The, uh, the produce that was planted already and took root and now started to grow and became hard because those were planted for a while, the bar is going to come and knock it out and destroy it. So this person heard it. So this person who fought with his wife and was privy to hearing this conversation when he slept in the, uh, in the cemetery, said, let me go ahead. And I heard the Mecharia Pargod, that anything that's, that's uh, planted during the first rain will be destroyed. I'm going to wait till the second rain. Why? Because by the second rain, even if the barad comes, it's still going to be very soft. It was just planted. And barad only, it hits hard, and it's going to crack the stalks that are already hard. But if I plant it during the second rain, it's going to be soft. And kachafa, that's exactly what he did. Shakola olam kulalaka. All of the, everyone else's produce was destroyed by the, uh, by the barad. Shalo lolaka. But his was not. And so he had a very bountiful year that year. The Ion Yaakov says this was actually his reward for giving his little money to the Ani. He had so little of his own savings, and yet an Evrashani gave to another Ani, this was his reward. Interesting, by the way, if you, rem- if you remember, Rosh Hashanah is not the time of year that we decide on the produce. Pesach, the Mishnah says, Pesach, we are in Edonim al So why would it say Rosh Hashanah that they went ahead and Kadosh Baruch Hu decided he gave, that, uh, he gave a forecast for the year that the Tvua is going to be ruined? It's not Rosh Hashanah, we don't, the, everything for produce is on Pesach. So Tosos gives an answer and says that, even though it's on Pesach, the, next, the year later they discuss, or on Rosh Hashanah, they still discuss what's going to be, but it's not necessarily that that's when the decree is made. Okay, Lashonach, so year number two. I don't know if he purposely had a fight with his wife, or he just said, you know what, I got good information last year, <laughs> but it was worth getting into a fight because of all the money he made. I don't know, but whatever it is, it doesn't tell us. So year number two in Rosh Hashanah, he said, last year I had a good fortune getting into a fight, but, but making a lot of money. Let me go back. So he went and he heard these two young girls again. The Nishamas again. Maybe he didn't get in the fight. Let's right, let's be the Don's Chuf. Correct. Maybe he didn't get in the Schuf. Went to sleep in the cemetery. The other thing is, once a year, it's not so bad. Once a year again, you know. Well, some of us will take once a year. It's a good record. Anyway, so Amra Chad and the Chaverta Chasasham. We should never fight. Amra Chad and the Chaverta. So one girl said to the other girl, Let's go again. Come roam with me. What's going on? Uh, roam with me, and we can see what's going on. Didn't I tell you? It's, it still hasn't uh, eroded. I'm still uh, buried in my chatzel shalkanim. I'm still, these reeds take really, really, really long to decay and erode. I'm still not able, my neshama is still not free from my goof. I can't go with you. You go yourself. And whatever you hear, please do tell me. So she went. And the Neshama came back, and she said, What did you hear? So I heard this time that anyone who plants during the second rain of the season, a very, very strong dry wind is going to come, and it's going to knock it out. Why? Because in this case, it's the opposite. The wind is only going to break the, that which is very soft. But if it's hard and it's already took root and it really has a little uh, keratin and it's stronger, that's going to be able to withhold it. So what did he do? So this guy now, hearing this, uh, this, the winning lottery numbers again, he went ahead and planted in the first rainfall. So everyone else who, based on last year's 
uh, weather forecast. They all realized they planted during the first rainfall. They said, we're going to wait till the second rainfall. They did. And then this wind came and destroyed everything. But him, this guy who heard it, Rabbi Yehuda, who heard it, he planted in the first one, but then it was hard already, so he was immune to the effects of the shidafan, of the strong gust of wind. Amr so his wife said, whoa, 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 okay, I've had it already. What's going on here? Last year, everyone else was destroyed by the by the uh, by the barad, you were fine because you planted in the second rainfall. This year, you and everyone else was destroyed because they planted in the second, and you had the for, the uh, the vision or the foreknowledge to go ahead and to plant in the first one in the first rainfall. What's going on? So sachla halalu. So he told her everything that transpired. So amru lo muatim kitata ben ishto shel it happened to be that Kahava, a few days later, his wife and the mother of the daughter that was buried, one of the two Nishamas that was buried in the Chabel Shalkanim, in that, in that sea of reeds, in that bundle of reeds that still had not, uh, not decayed, it was a sign of Aeneas, of, 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 uh, of poverty, they got into a fight. And she said, and as a shtach, to digger, to, to, to ribber, she said to the Rabbi Huda's wife, said to this woman, you're so poor as, as an insult that I'm going to go sh- show your daughter who's buried still in a, in a, in a bundle of reeds. It was a, it was a big insult. So the sh- and obviously she only knew that because of her husband. So the shanach, so the third year, we'll, we'll, we'll take, jo- um, we'll take uh, Jeff's opinion that they did not fight. The shanach, the third year, his wife probably pushed him to go. He went ahead and he slept in the cemetery. And he heard once again these two Nishamos speaking to each other. So, he's, so the one who was free to roam said to the other one, she was hoping by year number three that the, uh, that the conim, that the reeds were already uh, eroded and decayed. She said, let's go roam again together this time. We cannot go. Leave me alone. Our conversation, things that you and I speak that we think are in private are already heard amongst those who are living. So clearly this Gemara, that whole roundabout story is here to tell us that, that what? For sure, it should speak Lashon Hara, for sure. But that the, that the Mason do know what's going on in this world, right? That they do know, because these two Nishamos were dead, and they know that this, uh, that this wife told uh, one, of them, one of their mothers, they insulted her, that they know that she's in a Chavatzel Shel shall, uh, shall, uh, So we see that the, that the Mason are aware of what's going on in the Olam Achayim. Al-Mayadi. So isn't this an irrefutable proof? That we know that uh, the Mesim know what's going on. Gemara says not necessarily. It's not necessarily a strong proof. It's certainly possible that during that time that someone else died and told these people what happened, that they had a fight. So it doesn't mean that they're aware of the conversation between the two wives. It could be that someone heard these two wives fighting. They, that woman passed away again. It was a year in between, right? It was one Rosh Hashanah to the next Rosh Hashanah. So it's certainly possible that uh, someone heard that conversation, died, and then they shared it while they were dead with these two Neshamas. So it's not necessarily a proof that the Mesim know what's going on in this world. Okay, next possibility. Tashma, I'll bring you another proof that they, the Mesim are aware of what goes on in the, in the living world. Ziri, the name of a person, left some money by his landlady. 
Um, and uh, she hid it for him. There was a safe at the, at, at the, uh, at the concierge or the reservation desk. Uh, he was in a hotel. He gave it to her to put in the safe. Uh, and when the time he came back from the base Shriva, she had passed. And she did not reveal to him where his money was. Or the uh, let's, modern-day times, he didn't know the code to the safe. So, Azobas with the Chatzimavis. So, he actually followed her to the cemetery. Omar lay, so he said to the uh, Neshama of this uh, landlady, Zuzeha, where did you put my money? Meaning, what's the code? What's the, uh, the, the four-digit uh, uh, security code to my, to my safe? Omar lay, she said to him, Zil Shakinu Mitusei Tsinora. So, Didosh Rabbidun Plach. So go take it. It's actually right by the, uh, by the hinge, by the pivot of the door. There's a hole in the ground. Whatever it is, she told him exactly where it is. Go take it for yourself. And she says, she st- st- sticks in the following comment, by the way, when you are going there, tell my mother to bring my comb, because she's going to be coming here pretty soon. She's going to be dying pretty soon. And, oh, sorry, to send my comb and my eyeliner with someone, plony bas plony, this woman who's going to be dying soon, who's going to be coming here tomorrow. So uh, I'm not really sure what to make of that, to send my comb into the, into the Olam MS, but send my comb and my eyeliner. The bottom line is, Gemara says, Al-Mayadi. We see from here proof that the Mason are aware that what's going on in this world, because she knew that someone was going to be dying the next day. So the Gemara says, no, Duma Kadimachazu, Duma, was the uh, either the angel of death or the angel of Gehenna. So he was, uh, so it's possible that since he was appointed um, the angel of death, that he went ahead and announced to everybody who was going to be coming. But it's not necessarily a, a proof that, the, that, the, that those who are dead know. In this case, it could just be that a malach came and told him. Clearly, the Gemara was coming up with some interesting answers to show that the, that the dead are not aware of what's going on. Yeah. Why is there so much discussion on whether we started this with Loic Larash. Yeah, so one more. We got one more story. Yeah. We got one more story. It's it's uh it's you know somebody has to prove the Ouija board works. The what? The Ouija board works. Yeah. So so again, we started this with Loic Larash, right? Do we really think that uh, it started out of more halachic, right? right? That are you allowed to go ahead and wear tefillin? Can you speak divrei Torah? Can you go in and wear tzitzis out in, in a cemetery? So it certainly had its halachic roots in the right. beginning. We've sort of deviated. Right? But, um, okay, nonetheless. <laughs> Makes for interesting topics. Tashma. So now, I'll give you another proof. So uh, Shmuel, uh, the father of Shmuel, Shmuel we know was one of the great uh, Amorim, Shmuel and Rav, Rav and Shmuel, always arguing, the Torah in a good way. The father of Shmuel, he was uh, watching the money of a uh, of a yasam. In other words, the yasam was left an inheritance when his parents passed, and he was too young to go ahead and to uh, to invest it on his own. So Shmuel's father was watching it for him. So So it turns out that Shmuel's father passed, and Shmuel did not know where the money was. He didn't know where where the father kept the money. It was obviously hidden somewhere, um, and he couldn't locate it. So, they would call Shmuel a very derogatory term. They would call him the one who eats the money of the Yisomim. Meaning, they, it was a very negative, you're the son of the one who takes money and then uh, doesn't return it. So, obviously, not a very uh, complimentary uh, kinoi nickname. So, so, Shmuel went, he was very bothered with this, he went to find his father to see where he could, if he can locate it. He went after him to the uh, cemetery. Omar Lewis, Shmuel said to the, uh, I don't know, to the people of the cemetery, to the Shamos, to the Ruchos, to the spirits, 
I need my father. There's a lot of fathers here. How do we know who's your father? So Shmuel responded, I need the son, Abba, who's the son of Abba. Meaning, I need the, the person, Abba, who's the son of an Abba. He says, we have a lot of those also. So Amrulay, he said to him, Abba bar Abba nami tuva ika hacha. So they said to him, there's a lot of Abba bar Abba. So he said to them, Amrulu, bina Abba bar Abba vud Shmuel. I need Abba, the son of Abba, who's also the father of Shmuel. I'm Shmuel. So, okay, so they brought him. So when he finally came, so he said to them, so where is he? Where, where is this? Uh, they didn't bring him in. Sorry, they said, where is this? Uh, where's my father? So Slake Lemifsadurkiya, he went up to the, the highest level in Shemayim. He's in the inner circle over there, uh, and he's not there, but we'll bring his, we'll bring his neshama down, so to speak. Adahachi, until that happened, until they actually brought down the neshama of his father, uh, Shmuel's father, Abba. <laughs> so he saw Levi sitting outside of the circle of the Mesim. Levi was not even invited to be sitting in the circle of the Mesim, let alone to be upstairs in the Mesifta uh, Derekiah, in the highest level. Now, Levi was obviously a tremendous Amachacham. In fact, he was uh, one of Shmuel's uh, Rebbeim. So Amar Lei, Amayas is Abroi. So Shmuel turns to his Rebbe Levi. And he says, why are you sitting outside? Why are you not even upstairs? Or at least, the very least, in the circle with everyone who's here. You're mechutz l'machana, you're outside. So my time, lo selakta, lo and even more than that, so it's one thing that you're not in the circle, but you should be upstairs in the, in the Masif of the Rekia. Why are you not there? So Amar Lei, the army, so Levi said to him, because I was told when I got here, kol ki hai hanach, kol ki hanach shnei dilo salikt lemistva de Rabbi Efes, there's a story in Gemara that discusses when Rebbe died, Rebbe appointed who is going to be the next uh, uh, Rosh Hashiva. And Rav Chia was supposed to be, Rav Chia was the greatest of the uh, biggest Tamachacham, but Rav Afes was actually two and a half years older. And Rav Chia did not feel appropriate for him to be the Rosh Hashiva himself. So he let Rabbi Afis out of um, deference of Afis, who was a couple years older than him, he said, let him be the Rosh Hashiva. But because of Makbi, to a certain extent, he was a very magnanimous gesture not to take the, the position. But because uh, I know more Torah, I'm going to sit outside the base Medrash. And Levi sat outside the base Medrash to Rabbi Chia, never giving the proper cover to Rabbi Afis. Rabbi Afis was inside the base Medrash to Rosh Hashiva. Rabbi Chia stayed outside, set up his own little, I don't know, little shtibel, right? Whatever, a little, little stender. And so Levi sat, sat with him. And so they said to him, because of all the years that you did not enter the base Medrash and learn with Rabbi, Chia, with, uh, Rabbi Afes, but instead showed him up or didn't give the proper kavod by learning outside the base Medrash with Rabbi Chia, that amount of time, for that amount of time, we're going to withhold your entrance to the Masifta Durakia. So that's what he said to him. He said, I'm being punished year for year, day for day, month for month. So they said to him, um... So So for that, we're not going to enter uh, to uh, permit you entrance into the Masifdarkiah. Uh, so in the meantime, after that whole conversation, finally Shmuel's father descends in the, the Shama. So Shmuel saw that his father was at the same time laughing and crying. My time Why are you crying? I see that you're going to be coming here very quickly into Ola MS, and I'm sad that you're going to be leaving, uh, even though you're going to be joining me, that you're going to be, uh, you're going to be dying. So then the obvious old react- reaction was, then, why are you laughing? If I'm going to be dying, why are you laughing? So the father answered, because you are thought of in a very, very, very high regard in this world. What's this world? Rashi seems to say that it's in the, in the uh, Ola MS. Tosos seems to say, 
that it uh, it has it can't be. Tosfa seems to say that it's talking about the. Um, sorry, Rashi seems to say that it's talking about. Um, where am I? Um, Rashi seems to say that you're very highly thought of in the world of the living, and Tosa seems to say that you're very highly thought of in the world of of Shemaim, in the in the, in the future world. So So if I hold such importance and, and my word carries something, I tell I want to tell everyone let Levi go upstairs. He deserves to be upstairs in the Masifta Derekia. And in fact, that's what they did. They, uh, based on uh, Shmuel's recommendation, before he was even in, he himself was in Shemaim, he was still in the world of the Chaim, they ascended, uh, they, they let uh, Levi's Neshama ascend to the Masif Turkiya. Once that was done, so Amr Shmuel says to his father, where in fact did you hide the, uh, the, Yisom, the Yasom's money? I need to know. People are saying very bad things about you and me. So he's Amr Le'i, go behind our, in our backyard, there's a big millstone, it's right under there, go find it, it's buried in the ground. So I want you to know when you go and you find it, you should know that there's three levels. The upper level and the bottom level of cash belongs to us. The middle level belongs to the Yasam. The middle, so umitzi the Yasme. Why? my time is Hachi. So Shmuel says to his father, why, uh, why, did you, why exactly did you do that? Why did you hide it in such a way? So listen to what his father says. Amrle, it's not enough that he protected the money. He says, Amrle. I thought, if someone comes and they start to dig it up and they're going to steal, when they see one bag, they'll take that bag and run. That's going to be our money. So I'm protecting the, the Yassim's money. And if, and if something from the earth comes up, uh, whatever it is, if elements from the earth, if animals, worms, whatever it is, come and start to decay the bottom bag, his money will still be protected. So not only did he put it in a safe place, but he was willing to sacrifice his own money on top if Ganovim came, if robbers came, or if it started to, to decay and he rode, he was protecting with another bag on the bottom of his own money, and he really pr- protected the Yassim's money. So again, a very, 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 very long-winded story, but what's the bottom line? Alma Diyadi, we know that, we see from here, that the fact that the Mesim know what's going on, because otherwise, um, how would he know? How could he talk to him, and how, how would he be able to see that Shmuel came to him? And obviously, there's, there's obviously knowledge uh, upstairs of the Olam Achaim. So Gemara says, Dilma Shani Shmuel. Again, the Gemara does not want to commit to that, that makes him know what's going on in this world. Dilma Shani Shmuel. Kevin the Kashiv, the Kashiv, since he was such a Halaga person, who's so holy, called me a Machrizi. Then everyone, they, they can make room. Panu Makam, they said, make clear some space in the front and center row. Because Shmuel was coming shortly, and then everyone was aware that he was coming. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known that uh, that Shmuel was coming. These were unique circumstances. Okay, I, I usually we, we do a lot more off the top. We just have to get through a lot of this. Uh, this um, uh, let's just do a little bit more in the two minutes we have remaining. One more piece. Rabbi Yonason held the base. So it turns out that at the very very end, Rabbi Yonason was was closer. He says, "I do believe now that the the, the dead are aware of what's going on in the living, and I'll tell you why." Again, Rabbi Yonason was the one who said that they don't know. When he was wearing tzitzis, dragging on the kavaros, he said they don't know what's going on. But he was choser. And listen to what he says. This is a very interesting piece. How do we know that the mason can talk amongst each other? Hashem says to Moshe, This is the land that I'm about to give you. Again, Moshe never entered Eretz Israel. He was Me'averly Yarden. He was to the west. Right, he was Me'averly Yarden. He was still in Jordan. This is the land that I promised to Avi Mitzvah and Yaakov. Lamor saying, "What's my Lamor? What if the Gemara says, what is Lamor?'" So what Lamor says, he can't speak to he can't speak to Avi Mitzvah and Yaakov. They're already dead. 
So why does Shem say Lemor? So the Gemara says, Amar Kodesh Baruch Lemoshe, Kodesh Baruch says to Moshe, Lech Emor Lohem, go tell your others, go tell Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, that you, the promise that I made to Avram in the Brisbane of Asarim, that I will give you the land, I already have fulfilled it. And so we see that the fact that Moshe was going to tell that uh, the Avos, there's obviously communication, they know what's going on. Quick question. If they didn't enter Eretz Yisrael, you know, how can Hashem say Kivar Kiamtia? Moshe never entered. We know that Yeshua was the one who did Kibush Aretz, right? Moshe died, and, and, right? And we know he's buried somewhere in Jordan now. We don't know exactly where. And then Yeshua took over. So if Moshe was still alive, by definition, they didn't, uh, they didn't um, capture or, or conquer Eretz Yisrael. So what does he mean? That, tell the Avos that he already, you already, the Kivar Kiamtia, that I, I kept my word. So two possibilities, says the Masha. One is that there's, there's certainly some thought that may Avery Yardin is still part of Eretz Yisrael, even on the other side of the Jordan, is still part of Eretz Yisrael halakhically from biblically. And the other possibility is that he says that in the Gemara in the beginning of Babam uh, Basra discusses that Kinyan Re'iyah, sometimes when you see something, you're Kona something. So Moshe clearly stood on the mountains and he looked into it, so it's possible there's some type of Kinyan. So anyway, the last line of the Gemara we're going to do today, the Gemara says, Visak Adaitach, and if you would say, Deloyadi, that the Mesim are not aware of what's going on, if Moshe would tell Avon Yitzchak and Yaakov, hey, Hashem kept his word, it would mean nothing if they don't know what's going on. So obviously there must be some type of connection, some type of awareness or knowledge of the Mesim, what's going on in this world. The Gemara says, if that is the case, if they're already aware, why does Moshe have to say anything? The Gemara says, Elamayadi, so if you're telling me that Moshe, that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are already aware that Hashem is going to keep His word, what benefit is there to Moshe telling them? So the Gemara says, Moshe, so that they will have some hakar uh, satov, so that they will be Moshe will be favorable in their eyes. So Moshe, you always, even if you know something, when you hear the bearer of good news comes and tells you something, you certainly hold him in a higher regard. And so it's not a proof that uh, that the Mesim know. Um, it just, uh, still, it, it could be that the Mason know or don't know. In this case, they're trying to prove that they don't necessarily know. Um, but in this case, um, this is the last case that suggests that they might know, because otherwise, what purpose would it be for them to tell? Uh, just from Machlik Tova, they already knew on their own. So finally, we see one possibility that from this Gemara doesn't push it off, that the Mason may know what's going on in the, this world. Okay, we'll pick up tomorrow with a little more meaty topics. Have a great day, everybody.